Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. It's easily one of the most unique situations a New Mexico community has faced in generations. About two hours north of Albuquerque, one hour north of Santa Fe, the city of Las Vegas has less than a month of water left, according to the city's readout. It comes after something we've talked about on this podcast, the biggest wildfire in New Mexico history that sparked from the federal government's prescribed burn that got out of control. The Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire scorched through more than 341,000 acres, and a big portion of that fire burned through forest land on the western edge of the city. With that, the fire did extensive damage to areas surrounding the city's main source of water, the Gainas watershed. The damage comes in the form of mud, soot, and debris running off of those burn scars and into the watershed. The most recent U.S. census shows roughly 13,000 people live in Las Vegas, New Mexico. Dealing with the threat to a clean water supply for weeks now, the community at large has been told to cut back on their water use. That doesn't just affect homes and businesses there. It also affects the city's broader future. We have a responsibility, a responsibility. You may remember President Joe Biden came to New Mexico in June, pledging to do, quote, whatever it takes to help Las Vegas and surrounding New Mexico communities recover from the fire. The bottom line is, Gov, uh, to the people in New Mexico, we'll do whatever it takes as long as it takes to follow your leadership and tell us what you need, and I promise you. While the feds have stepped in with those pledges, there's clearly a lot of work to be done, and time is running out. Leading the city of Las Vegas through the continued crisis is Mayor Louis Trujillo. He joins us on the podcast today to talk about the situation at large. Mayor Trujillo, thanks for being here. Thank you. We appreciate uh, KRQE as well. Thank you. First, Mayor, it, it definitely seems like the city of Las Vegas has been dealing with some major problems as of recent without really being able to take a breath and recover from first the pandemic, then wildfires, then flooding. What has that felt like as a leader in your community and how's morale over there in northern New Mexico? Well, morale is good. Our people are super resilient. Um, We are a very resilient group, very spiritual and very strong physically and mentally. We've been blessed with with that as as a trait for uh, the people in northern New Mexico. It's been taxing. It's been exhausting. Um, The fire has really been um, a uh, very, very devastating, uh, you know, we, we, I can't even imagine how big the ripple is from this, you know, devastating fire um, that's really, really damaged our watershed and, and the, the ripple of the, you know, into the economy and our ecotourism and our campgrounds are burnt and so forth. So it really sent us in a different um, direction completely than, than where we would like to be. Um, unfortunately, you know, we, we, we've succumbed to the damage of the fire uh, in, in the very worst way and, and the watershed being completely damaged and the type of water that's coming down the Guyanas River, although it's been the best monsoon season in 13 years, experts say we haven't been able to use a single drop of water that's coming down from the Guyanas River because it's so polluted and so many different materials in there. 
is this angering? Does it cause anger? I'm sure it does. Uh, it does in me too, uh, you know, and that we're dealing with, with this situation that was caused by, uh, I can say that it was needlessly caused uh, by the fire, uh, forest fires. And so, and the, the U.S. Forest Service prescribed burns. So I'm glad the U.S. Forest Service is taking a look at their practices on how they're going to manage the forests in northern New Mexico. And I hope that they, for a long time, not consider a controlled burn, especially in March, uh, one of the windiest times of the year in New Mexico, you know, when the winds were 75 and 80 miles an hour on that day, it just doesn't make any sense. And the other fire that wasn't extinguished completely, of course, when they joined, made the largest forest fire in New Mexico's history. The fire was just west of town. We could actually see the fire on the other side of the Preston Ridge, um, which was very scary for the for the uh, for the community. Uh, it almost crept in, but we you know we're very thankful with all the firefighters and the equipment and everything it took to keep the fire from creeping into Las Vegas. But now we're left with devastation and, and uh, of our watershed and drinking water for our people. Kim, earlier today, I stood with Carl Martinez on the outskirts of town on his property by Sebastian Canyon while he described to me the damage the fires caused to his ancestral home. We lost almost 200 acres of the family ranch. And that's been, in, like I said, in our family for since the 1900s, all the brothers and sisters handed it down to their kids and I mean it's just a family place that everybody goes up to it's heartbreaking I mean uh see the people crying the older people they're just uh, they're devastated though I mean even the younger people the younger generations are devastated just because these lands will never be the same again our kids will never see what we got to see and feel what we got to feel Along the lines of that devastation, um, I wanted to get a baseline. What is the current situation here? We're recording this on September 1st. What is the current situation for water use in Las Vegas? You know, how many days do you have left? And what can residents expect when sort of that final day arrives? We're hoping that day never arrives, right? Because we're working on a temporary fix and I'll get into that in a while. As of Tuesday, we had a forum at the university and uh, we're talking about 24 days of water um, that we have stored that can be treated for drinking. That's in our Bradner Reservoir. So if you're people who aren't familiar with Las Vegas, we have two reservoirs and the tertiary one, the, the one that serves as sort of an augment, you know, to our water supply is the Story Lake State Park. And that is where we have uh, a great number of days uh, of water uh, storage. Uh, so when the 24 days in the Bradner Reservoir um, are up. Uh, we're hoping to incorporate this uh, temporary filtration system. Prior to that, um, the experts are telling us that uh, they'll be in full production by the end of this week and hopefully by the beginning of next week in pumping the water out of Story Lake that was also damaged by the fire. So, and that is why we're having to, uh, um, you know, to filter that water prior to sending it in the existing infrastructure back up to our reservoir so we can fill those reservoirs up. There has been some reporting out there about one of the big shifts in response to the fire. As I understand, uh, summer events were canceled or maybe discouraged over concerns about the added impact on the city's limited water supply. What kind of conservation measures has the city taken to preserve the drinking water that is still there? 
I can't thank the public enough. Had it been for a public, we would be in worse in a worse situation. The last I heard on Tuesday night from Maria Gilvery, who's our director of utilities, we're saving close to or over a hundred thousand gallons a day just by our residents conserving water. You know, we're tough. Like I told you, we've lived in some sort of conservancy all our lives here. So prior to the fire, we were already in stage four of our drought plan, which meant no outdoor watering, no uh, washing of vehicles, no filling up of pools, those types of things. So now we're in stage seven. And I can't tell you enough how good the uh, residents of Las Vegas has been. They've, they've cut down their consumption. You know, the average person in California uses about over 200 gallons a day. Our citizens use 44 gallons or less per day. You don't know how much water you're actually wasting until you begin to count, you know, how long your showers are or how long you leave the, you know, the faucet running while you're shaving or brushing your teeth or shaving your legs or what it is, you know. Um, the water just accumulates, plus the flushing and the cooking and everything else. Uh, it totally adds up, you know, hats off to our residents. They've done a great job and they've all come together. The businesses, the hospitals, the school districts have all uh, contributed to this. We have distributed drinking water so that people would stay off our home taps. So I think that's helping as well. Last Wednesday, we delivered water to 2,700 households. The week before, it was 2,300 households. Yesterday's count is still out there, but I'm assuming it's just as large. So that is water that is being trucked in from FEMA. I think that's helping to, you know, sort of stretch out those, those days that we have in storage. Uh, but the citizens have just been fantastic, and the business community uh, restaurants, including, you know, they're serving on paper plates and it may be causing a bigger uh, problem for us with solid waste issues now, but um, we're doing everything that we can to conserve every drop of water. We alluded at the top of the episode that the Gainas River, which is normally a water source that the city can draw from, has been contaminated with ash and debris from wildfire that's been followed with heavy rainfall. When city leaders knew the monsoon season was coming, what sort of flood mitigation did crews do there to try and prevent that kind of contamination? You know, we heard workers were digging trenches, building barriers. Did that work? Absolutely. It worked perfectly. Um, Even while the fire was burning uh, on that ugly Monday, I think it was May 2nd. It has become a beast that is not slowing down. The Hermit's Peak Calf Canyon fire grew tens of thousands of acres overnight and is now threatening the city of Las Vegas. Kim, as you can tell, the smoke is extremely thick today, making it very hard to breathe. And as you had mentioned, the flames are inching closer and closer to the city of Las Vegas. It was a terrible day. The winds um, were at 80 miles an hour all night and all day in the morning. The town was completely filled with smoke. You could see the flames shooting up on the West Ridge of Las Vegas on the Criston. You know, the state hospital was evacuated. 
Many people evacuated Las Vegas on that day. It was a terrible day. And even while the fire was burning the hottest, we were meeting with a consortium of over 200 people who knew what trouble our town was in because of this damage. So absolutely. And the Army Corps of Engineers were involved uh, as well. As soon as the fire cooled off, they were up in the canyon and, and up in the river, creating uh, these huge uh, gabion baskets and fencing that would keep back uh, large debris and large trees and boulders with the wash that was coming with the rapid water and the, and the big rains. A project that would have probably taken years took about four weeks. The Army Corps of Engineers knew that the monsoon season was coming. They were working like um, ants in the canyon. There were so many people there. So they did a fantastic job in preserving our infrastructure. Hadn't we had those those uh, preventive measures, some of our infrastructure or a lot of it would have been damaged because of the debris that was coming down with the monsoonal flow in that river. So we're very thankful to the Army Corps of Engineers and all the men and women that, that helped uh, to build these protective measures. Uh, but you're absolutely right. They were here. And as we were working and even as the fire was burning, we knew that we had a lot to do before the monsoon season. There's people who are losing their homes with no insurance. There are people who are losing homes that don't have any place to go or anything to eat. It's pretty stressful. Like, I never would have thought that it would have came to this. So we like to always contextualize a little bit about the places we're talking about because we realize that uh, there may be some people who are unfamiliar with Las Vegas, New Mexico. It's a college town in part. Um, It's about a couple hours north of Albuquerque. It's up in the northern mountains. The Sangre de Cristo Mountains are up there. Uh, It's also a big ranching community. Um, And the state's biggest behavioral health hospital is also there. Broadly, how has the drinking water shortage impacted the everyday citizen there in Las Vegas? I have to say that it's probably impacted everyone. And I think everybody knows about the crisis. You know, public relations has been so important to me to be able to get out there and encourage people to conserve the water. Uh, Everyone knows about it. We've been completely honest with people. Uh, Our newspaper, you know, every Friday we have a report there that'll tell them exactly how many days we have left, what they can do. Uh, to conserve, thinking twice about when they open the faucet or what they open the faucet for, you know, how much water are they taking off the tap to drink? I mean, all these things are impacting our citizens greatly. Uh, Again, uh, the resilience of, of our public is just amazing. And we've had such great cooperation that, you know, uh, I'm so proud that everyone is willing to help. One of the things that struck me was the actual countdown that I started seeing, you know, Las Vegas has less than 30 days left of drinking water. And then I saw reporting, you know, saying that restaurants, like you said, were serving customers on paper plates, not bringing people water to the table unless someone asked for it. Mm -hmm. Measures like that. I mean, taking a step back a little bit, did you ever think that this could be a thing that an entire community can lose a water supply, something that's just a necessary part of life that I'm sure a lot of us take for granted? In the past, we've been very dependent on the Guyanus River. And it's a dwindling resource, right? So with the lack of big snowstorms in the winter, 
we rely on surface water. So our citizens have always been under some sort of conservancy plan or another. I never thought that we would be in a situation this quickly. I knew that when the fire was burning that we were in trouble. And I knew that Guyana's River is a very precious resource. And I, I knew we were in trouble when the forest fire started. We've come close uh, in previous years. We've had fires in the watershed before. Uh, never, never uh, this size and never this devastating in the watershed. The devastating Calf Canyon Hermit's Peak fire spanning two counties. That's where News 13's Gabe Chavez is with the latest. Gabe. State Representative Roger Montoya says the intensity of the fires is overwhelming. The feeling I had was just of exasperating, like, oh my God, this is real. I'm seeing it before my eyes, this flames leaping and the dark black smoke coming towards us. The watershed, I'd like to explain a little bit on how that works. So from Montezuma Pond, uh, from where close to our treatment facility, the watershed goes up the Gainas Canyon and beyond. Um, so it's way up on Calf Canyon and Beaver Creek and um, all those, those uh, beautiful places up in the canyon. So there's probably 30 or 40 miles of watershed. And it's very interesting if you go through there, parts of it were very burned. Some of them was not, you know, some of it was not touched by fire. Others were burnt drastically and so it's spotted up and down the uh, watershed. However, it was devastating enough to cause the, the water to be contaminated. And when I say contaminated, I mean that the filter system that we have right now was built for the type of water that was coming down the Guyana's River, right? That beautiful, pristine, crystal clear, delicious water that was coming down the river. Yeah, before the fire. Well, now um, the filter system that we have isn't capable of filtering the type of water that's coming down the Guyanas right now. It certainly has cleared up since the uh, monsoon season has sort of, you know, eased up a little bit. Um, but there for a while, we had flash flood warnings every single day, two or three of them, because we knew that it was pouring up in the mountains and everything around Las Vegas is so beautifully green and lush and like i said the best you know the most fruitful monsoon season in 13 years and here we are not being able to drink a single drop you mentioned a little bit earlier on the use of a temporary water treatment system mm -hmm. so there was this emergency declaration as i understand in july and that's when sort of the plans got rolling for this temporary water treatment center to help with the city's water supply. Mm -hmm. How is that working out? What is sort of the status of that project? We've been told by the experts that all the major components have arrived. They're needing chemical right now and a one part as of today to get uh, into full production, taking the water out of the lake. The supply chain for everything uh, has been delayed because of everything from the pandemic to world economy. We're hoping that uh, that that one part that's needed comes in today and that the chemicals are, are received today and they can be in production as early as tomorrow, getting water out of that river. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful um, and 
we're very hopeful that the system will be able to take that water, filter it enough for it to go and be uh, stored in our reservoir. Once it's stored in our reservoir, it'll go through our filtration system once again. And so it'll be double filtered and then into your faucets and toilets and stuff. So um, we're hoping the system works out. Uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, anticipation to just getting the system going. Uh, but we were in very close contact with the company and with our uh, geologists and uh, consultants that are helping us with this with this uh, project. And it sounds like that in the future, cost is one of those looming big concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand you told the Associated Press that a permanent treatment system on the river could cost more than a hundred million dollars. And also that there's no timetable for maybe designing or building a system like that. There is an update, somewhat of an update. So now we're looking at another temporary solution that would be putting a filtration system in the river so that we can start funneling some of that water into our reservoirs. That's another temporary uh, solution. The biggest solution and the final, the, the best, you know, uh, thing that could happen is that we get a filtration system that is designed to filter the type of water that's coming down the Guyana's River right now. That is in the works. We already know we need it. You know, we're working with our consultants to make that happen just as soon as possible. I'm very impatient. I want it done this afternoon. And so they, they know how important it is. And um, they definitely know my temperament and how I'm moving things forward and uh, how I'm calling people out and, and, and pushing things forward because I, I know that this is a crucial emergency for our community. We're working very close, Chris, with uh, our consultants to get that timeline shortened and to get sure up that money that I intend uh, to come from the federal government for full reimbursement. And uh, we today, today we haven't paid a single cent for all the work that's been done, uh, I intend for that to happen until we're made complete. Another part of this water shortage that we've touched on through this discussion that feels a little bit like salt on the wound for Las Vegas is that you guys have seen a really wet monsoon season, like you mentioned, with more rainfall than you've seen in years. And had it not been for this government sparked wildfire causing so much destruction, Las Vegas would be able to use the water from those recent rains. What is the feeling when you think about that? There's a lot of irony there, right? Um, but there's also a lot of um, uneasy feelings inside me and sort of like an anger, you know, because our reservoirs would be completely filled at this point. Uh, we wouldn't have to worry about water for a while because there's just been so much rain that has fallen. People in northern New Mexico who are still recovering from the Calf Canyon Hermit's Peak Fire are now dealing with devastating flooding in the Burnscar area. Roads are washed out and property is destroyed and the rain isn't expected to let up anytime soon. Rain continues to fall in northern New Mexico, causing massive flooding. It's been 100, maybe 50 to 100 feet across at times, maybe four feet deep. It's washing boulders, logs, you name it, whatever's in the river is coming down the down the place. Residents like James Clifford say he's never seen anything like this. I've lived here for 50 years. I've never seen. This is like a 500-year flood, not a 100-year flood. This is a five. This never happens. I've seen some big floods here. 
a little bit of anger, a little bit of angst, a little bit of uh, resentment, all of those feelings, uh, a little bit of mourning and sorrow, you know, for the fact that um, our, you know, the poor river is so damaged and so sacred to the people in northern New Mexico. And and so there's a flurry of, of emotions that go through me right now and through the people in Las Vegas. There's just so many feelings. It's just a mixture of all kinds of stuff going on. And hopefully we're, you know, we're, we're going to get to to a resolve here um, as soon as we can. We've talked a little bit about just the impact that the community has already experienced. And we're also thinking about the future here. We do know ranchers have had to cut back on their herds due to the fire damage and water shortages. As News 13's Natalie Wattis found out, the forest closed due to the fires has ranchers scrambling to find food for their cattle. Martin Duran grazes his cattle in Carson National Forest and relies on his allotted area to raise his herd. But he says this year he won't be able to do so. I'm not sure what we'll do, but you know, we've like I said, we've survived droughts before, never this bad, but we've survived them before, so I'm sure we'll adapt. We'll adapt and we'll grow the herds again. You know, we've talked a little bit about restaurants and their concerns already. As mayor, are you worried about the future of business in Las Vegas? I'm not. I'm I'm a, I'm an optimist for one thing. Um, but I also have a lot of confidence in the consortium that we're working with, with a group of professionals who just last night, we got a list of other water resources that Las Vegas could tap into. So we're working around the clock to not just be dependent on the Guayanas River, but explore other water resources that uh, that we may be able to bring online for, for Las Vegas. So um I guess the old adage that necessity is the mother of invention or creation, this has really put us into a go mode to find uh, resources and other water sources. And that's never been coming fast enough for, for the city, but now it is. There is not, and let me repeat, there is not a grim forecast for the businesses in town. I think we're going to be we're going to move through this and we're going to be able to solve some of these problems. And um, my hope is that the business community is is untouched and that we keep on with the economy that we have. Um, you know, it, it is unfortunate, you know, that, that we're in this situation I'm reluctant to, you know, blurt out the blame um, as much as I have in the past. But we're going to go through this and we're going to be okay. All the government agencies have been supportive so far. The state government has been fantastic to work with. We declared a state of emergency on a Thursday, which was probably a month ago. Uh, by Friday at noon, we had $2.5 million that we needed for this filtration system. I have never seen money in government change hands that quickly ever. And so we know, the state knows, the governor knows uh, that this is an emergency for our people. Uh, she has been here with us holding our hand when the fire was burning the hottest. She was here. She sent her entire cabinet to Las Vegas, you know, to see what we could do, uh, how they can help us. And so we've been supported by the best. And up to now, I'm going to reserve uh, a judgment on the on the on the agencies right now. Um, are, are things moving fast enough? They're moving as they should. I see a bright future for us. 
Is there anything that you want the rest of New Mexico or even, you know, government leaders to understand better about your situation there in Las Vegas that maybe hasn't gotten across? I'm really hoping that the agencies that are involved take this as a learning opportunity, that this is something that they can put in their box of of knowledge, that when this happens to another community, that they don't have to start from the very beginning that there should already be measures being taken to protect the sacredness of rivers and and land in in New Mexico. There should already be lessons that have been learned, you know, with the science of using controlled burns and managing the, the federal forest and the state forest. There should already be lessons learned on on the dependence of a single water source for a community. There should already be lessons learned so that the next community, God forbid, that goes through something like this, that all the agencies already know, um, you know, what to expect. So uh, do I need the rest of the state to know something? It's that working together intra-agency, you know, with all the different agencies that we've had to communicate with has been a a good opportunity for our community, but it's been a very big learning opportunity for us. But I would hope that this doesn't happen to any community. Um, you know, I think I think the state should learn from our devastation that, you know, we can maybe be smarter for other communities who have a single resource for drinking water. Do you feel like the federal government is delivering on its promise to do whatever it takes? For this situation, for the water, for our filtration systems, for these things, yes. And I, I am also a property owner, a one house I'm an owner, part owner of that, that burnt during this, during the fire. And then we lost our family's cabin, our, our estate up in, up in Gainas as well. And um, there's there's good and there's bad. And there's, again, a lot of different emotions that come to mind when you're dealing with agencies. And I don't know what it's like for somebody who is dealing with them, who lost everything, their entire house, their their living, their, uh, you know, their Christmas tree uh, business that they made their whole life on, their firewood business that they learned their, you know, earned their whole life livings with. And. Um, all the people who are going through, you know, challenges with ownership of their property and all these other things, I don't think they can say the same thing. I'm, I'm really speaking just about this situation. And I really do think up to this point, the government has made it good, but it's my responsibility to hold their feet to the fire. Excuse the pun, but, you know. It's our responsibility as community leaders to make sure the government uh, pays for 100% of the cost to make this good for our community. You know, the ripple effect, you know, that's gonna affect us for years. I mean, to change the complete mountainside of our campgrounds and our beautiful mountains and our aesthetic views, you know, looking out of my family's cabin to Hermit's Peak, and that's completely gone and devastated. Um, It looks like the moon, you know, and so it's going to take us a while, but the the ripple effects of a a devastating fire like this are 
will take years and years and years. And that's what they're telling us about our water system. So um, I guess we have to be very patient. The experts are saying that the second monsoon season is the worst. Um, And so we're bracing for next year already. Another big thank you to Mayor Trujillo for doing the interview with us today and taking all of that time to explain the situation in Las Vegas, which obviously is continuing to cause a lot of work, a lot of heartache, but uh, perseverance, I would say, amongst the community. I think even living in Albuquerque in these urbanized you know, cities, it's hard to imagine going through a situation and literally seeing a countdown on your newspaper every week of how much water you have left. So um, something to consider for our neighbors in the North. We appreciate you listening. If you want to get in touch with us for a story idea or whatnot, we've had a few people emailing as of recent. Thank you. You can also contact either one of us at our individual emails. I'm at chris.mckee at krqe.com and then also on social media. And I'm gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening. Thank you.